What's up, What's everyone? Oh my god, here we go. Fucking hell. Okay. You ready? Let's go. Hang on, hang on. What's the last line of the film? Is it so what big deal? Uh I don't know. Oh fucking hell. I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna go for big deal. So all right, all right. I thought you were gonna put a Jamaican accent on and say <laughs> and and say, so what the big deal? Okay. Nah, it's, it's it's what is that the last lines? So what big deal? Or big deal, so what? I think it's big deal, so what? As I said, I can't remember anything about the film. Oh, this is fucking outrageous. Okay. okay. I could have put, put some effort in, Shafi. Okay. Well, I don't know, but you know, some people actually watch the film in advance rather than watching it right the last fucking minute. Oh, well, surely that's the best thing to do because you remember it. So surely I'm surely I'm the best and you're the worst. You're always the best. I'm always the worst. (laughs) The reason you can't remember it is because it's it's kind of forgettable. That's why. (laughs) Oh god, here we go. Okay, we'll wait for uh Dave to be very miserable for this. uh, Yeah, get ready. (laughs) What are you drinking? (laughs) Fucking hell. Eddie, man, it's none of your fucking business, Eddie, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> That's the intro. <laughs> We're all stuck in this lighthouse together. <laughs> okay. Right. All right. Well, I'm going to start. So please don't interrupt. Okay. What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Who Dropped the Popcorn podcast. I am Shafi Malik, and tonight I'm joined by Dave McHugh. That it, man. Andy Newlands. So what? Big deal. And joining us from the somewhat north of England, Kyle Hammond. Remember, no matter where you go, there you are. (laughs) Uh, right from the beginning, <laughs> we'll just let you know that we are going into spoilers. So we recommend you watch the film before listening to this. Tonight's episode is... Tonight's episode is Kyle's choice. Kyle, what did you Woo! choose? Just let me put on my bubble wrap glasses to, uh, to read this. Uh, yeah, inside. <laughs> I chose the film The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Um, released in 1984, Peter Weller stars as half American, half Japanese. Yeah, Peter Weller. Rock star, mm-hmm. neurosurgeon, race car driver, nuclear physicist, crime fighter, and all round Renaissance man, Buckaroo Banzai, who with his team, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, must battle the red lectides, evil, pure and simple from the eighth dimension. <laughs> <laughs> Making up the Cavaliers, Lewis Smith as Perfect Tommy, Clancy Brown as Rawhide, Pepe Serna as Reno Nevada, and Jeff Goldblum as New Recruit, New Jersey. Jersey. The Red Electroids are portrayed by Vincent Schiavelli as John O'Connor, Dan Hedaya as John Gomez, Christopher Lloyd as John Big Bootay. Bootay! Bootay! <laughs> and the human scientist Emiliano Lizardo, whose body is taken over by the leader of the Red Electroids, John Warfarin. 
played by John Lithgow. Yeah, that wasn't made obvious. Yeah, it was. Sorry. It wasn't obvious at all. I didn't get that until after reading about it. I, I, I didn't know that's what happened. There was a whole scene where they explained what happened. The Jamaican no, guy. The Jamaican guy was explained it all. Um, oh, really? Yeah. The film was written by Earl McRouch and directed by W.D. Richter. Which is the Jamaican guy. And he's <laughs> going to tell us what the story was. Right, so basically, <laughs> this is one of the greatest <laughs> stories of all time. So, so... It's so mental, this film. Like, you, it, you, you're just expected to know that this buckaroo bonsai light is the greatest superhero of all time. So he's, he's, a, he's like a neurosurgeon and he's a rock star and he's a test pilot and he's, a, he's an interdimensional traveller. So movie opens, bang. He's doing, some like, he's doing some, like, brain surgery and he's bored, bang. Next scene, he's in, like... He's in, like... I don't know what it's called, like the oscillation overthrust machine. It's basically the Ghostbusters car and the car from Back to the Future. And then he goes like, he goes, man, mad mental, like Jeremy Clarkson in Top Gear in the desert. And then he goes <laughs> through a mountain and then enters the eighth dimension where he, and then he comes back and there's like an alien, uh, a piece of alien, uh, like on his car. And he's like, everyone's like, what the fuck is going on like, like with this crazy shit? And then, then, then I'm not sure what happened for the next hour, but I'm pretty sure there's this band called the Hong Kong Cavaliers, um, and they they do like um, a lot of guitar playing. They say some insanely cool philosophical shit that I want to talk about later. Gold, uh, Jeff Goldblum turns up, and I'm not sure why, but at some point he turns into a cowboy, and then um, <laughs> then 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 this Jamaican alien turns up, the black the, the black aliens who are, who are good, and then like. The guy, the guy from Third Rock from the Sun is like this crazy evil villain who I'm pretty sure the the weird little geeky like guy from Ghostbusters who helps the mad motherfucker in the painting. Like it's the same guy basically. So then he wants to like get <laughs> this not. this mental voice from Italian. Yeah, so he's an Italian, he's got an Italian accent, right? Which yeah, yeah. kind of put it's on not, an it's Italian not the same, accent. It's not the same guy, but it's the same, it's the same voice and everything. It's just Honestly. insane. And then and then, like, oh, Buckle Bonsai is just so cool. He's given a press conference and everyone's calling like, then this bird fancies him, Penny. Um, and you're just expected to know what's going on and you just have to go along with it. It's greatest. It's so much fun. And then, um, God, I've probably missed a million things. And there's a president who's on a gyroscope. That's not really explained, but again, whatever. But then, you, then there's, like, a watermelon. And I'll talk about the watermelon in about half an hour or so. Um, and then a lot of crazy stuff happens. Um, the red electroids eventually get beaten. Um, I'm pretty sure at one point uh, Jamie Foxx turns up and gives Bonsai like electro powers, and then he like saves Penny with a kiss. <laughs> and then uh, then this like alien comes on, everything sorted, and then it's the greatest music video of all time. It's one of the best. If you haven't seen this film, go and watch it because it's brilliant. And I've only I've only given you one percent of what happened. Oh, cheers. Wow. I've, I've, did you, Kyle, did you expect Andy to enjoy this film so much? No, to be honest, no. Um, <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> I, I think you're the thing. only one in this group that re that had that type of It's experience. amazing. It's amazing. All, all I knew was that Andy and Dave would have massively opposite opinions. Um, <laughs> that's the joke of the podcast, people. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's sort of a uh, like a, a love hate relationship going between Andy and Andy and Dave. It's honestly, it's so good. <laughs> okay.
and all the aliens. The, sex, the sexual tension is just killing us. <laughs> yeah. And there's a there's a there's a uh, uh, Orwellian theme. The not oh god, it's so good. Anyway, look, I'll, I won't take over this podcast, but it is. Whatever you're doing now, stop listening to this podcast and go and watch this movie. <laughs> Again. Uh, Kyle, do you want to go into anything that uh, Andy missed out? Well, I was going to go through the whole thing because I know that you said that you couldn't remember anything about the film. Really. <laughs> I can't remember I don't anything we, about the film. Literally, Dave only watched it this morning. I don't know if Dave can remember much. Um, I can remember the whole plot. So literally, I can remember everything. I've written, from memory, I've written most of it down, but I, it gets a bit mix and match towards the end. So feel free to jump in. Um, you too, Andy. Yeah, I will. So this is all for Shafi. So he can form his opinion based on this go through here. So wait, and Andy just gave his synopsis. And now you're going to give your synopsis. No, I'm going to give the full the full synopsis and go into more about in more in depth. Make sure you talk about the, the fake nuclear explosion, the Russian inventions. Yeah, yeah, I've got all that. Uh, we we can just chi- we can just chime in about our comments of the film yeah, that's, that's while what you're while you're doing it. So yeah, yeah, it's fine. So it starts off with a Star Wars ripoff, the screen crawl. Which yeah, I was a bit <laughs> like, oh really? I mean now it's a bit like it's been done a million times like as a joke, but were they being genuine when they did it? I was a bit strange, I wasn't sure. I mean, it's it's just part of the it's part and parcel of their like that pulpy type of genre, isn't it? And yeah, even ter- uh, even Terminator One starts like that, doesn't it? Not yeah. not at the sort of angle, like not with the angle, but Terminator One starts like that with a serious, yeah. it feels serious. I don't mind that; I quite like it. But if you do the sort of thing where it sort of fades into the background, then it is a Star Wars ripoff, I guess. Everything's thought out. It starts off with the car scene, but thinking back, does it start off with him doing brain surgery? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts off with him. Oh, sound, Kyle, messed up already. Yeah, <laughs> it starts off with him, and it says, "Don't, don't pull that. You don't know what threads underneath." And that's the genius of this film. Every single line is thought through. Everything's connected. Everything's a commentary. It's unbelievably good. Wow, I've got okay, some good news for you at the end, Andy. Okay, Kyle was so having gonna, a baby. I'm not going to no, I'm not going to talk about the car scene because Andy talked about that. He goes to the eighth dimension. There's lots of people. You, you figure out that he's a bit. He's a big deal. He's got all these people working for him and shit. Can we not talk about that opening scene? Yes, best opening scene ever. It's quite important because they're talking about sort of mind control, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's and Jeff Goldblum's really good in that. I think I really enjoyed that scene it's quite it's just quite interesting that they're talking about that what would the brain surgery will be what your brain is telling your hand to do that and stuff like that and obviously that's what the brain kind of does anyway but it's fixing the brain and then it's talking about that you may have the power to control somebody through their brain so i think that's quite um, an important scene well you don't probably realize it at the time but i'll jump back to you dave when when that's relevant later on yeah it's for dr emilio lizardo yeah don't forget yeah. him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it's bigger than that. It's what the dimension is. It's all, oh, the, oh God, it's so good. The puppet, the puppet master. That's what I see as well. Yeah, Puppets. exactly. Where is consciousness attached to? It starts, yeah. oh my God, it's so, it's like Westworld. The first time I saw Westworld, <laughs> it blew my mind. I, I don't, what I didn't really get was, I mean, yeah, because it comes to light later on, but at the time he says, I want you to join my crew. Knowing that his crew's like, crime fighters and a, and a band 
why does his brain surgery make? He's like, yeah, you should join my crew. It's just weird. Why? Because you're good at brain He's surgery. He's Bonsai, and you've got to accept it. I mean, to be honest, we did, did uh, I, I was struggling to figure out what everyone's function was in that team anyway. Uh, like, you know, everyone sort of just did a bit of everything. Tommy Perfect just looks cool as fuck with like a jacket and yeah. Can I just sort of intervene, stop the flow of things by asking you guys, what was the best outfit in this film? <laughs> the one where he's in prison, where he goes to see the girl in prison. That's his. That was my favorite outfit. Kind of the tartan. What's suit. that? Can you describe it? Oh right. It was like a tartan, subtle tartan suit with a matching tie. I was just like, wow. And the girl you know who's the identical twin of a dutch princess was it yeah i am right in uh remembering that it's only in the end credits that jeff goldman is dressed as a cowboy right oh, no no no, no, no. no. Oh, no. Oh, sorry oh, you're jumping ahead here shafi we'll get to that <laughs> sorry sorry um, okay let, let's let's so the end credits on. slightly then, yeah so there's the car scene then <laughs> By the way, we're going to be like three hours at this rate. <laughs> well, good. Because every scene needs to be spoken about. Then there's the car scene, which I thought Andy did a good enough job to talk about. He travels through yeah. the eighth dimension, but he's got the uh, he's got the flux capacitor basically in his car, isn't he? It's exactly yeah. the fucking yeah. same. So what came out yeah. first? No, this came out first. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Back to the Future is 1985, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and and it's obviously got Doc Brown, and this film was Doc Brown. Just it's well, mad. well ahead of his time. Well, the thing is, is that with this film, it feels like it's got this kind of monumental cast, but for a lot of these actors, it's their film before their breakout role. So, yes, yeah. it was, it's, it's the year before 1985, um, Back to the Future's release. So, is the it was the year before, um, yeah. uh, that, that was released. Peter Weller, when was Robocop out? What, 1987? Seven, 87, yeah. Yeah, so that was just uh, before Peter Weller ended up blowing up. Quite literally, quite literally. Is Peter Weller famous? I don't think so, really. The, the well, Fly was 86. That and Naked Lunch. <laughs> yeah, the Fly was 86. But the thing is, is that um, Jeff Goldblum, what else was he in that was... Oh, he was in, in a really small part in the... Um, Death Wish. Death Wish, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was his first role, wasn't uh, it? Uh, Cla- Clancy Brown was, that was uh, before Highlander came out, I'm pretty sure, as well, 1984. Can't remember what, what year Highlander was out, but... Would you say he's most famous for that? I'd say he's most famous for uh, Shawshank. Well, he was the villain in Highlander. I'm pretty sure that people would, that's the first big role, I would yeah, say. Honest, I, mean, I, know him from, I know him from Marvel and DC stuff. He does a lot of voiceover for all the different cartoon stuff. He was Surtur in Ragnarok as well. Oh, wow. A good uh, casting director sort of put together all of these great actors in one film. Um, Amazing. And which is sort of why I sort of struggled to recall this film, because it, if I had a criticism, it's uh, there were way too many characters. And if I was given notes about this film, I would say, you know, you can just get rid of a few characters you know we don't need to spend this much money on this big of a cast nah man would it have cost that much money back then i guess not it was 17 million was the budget and it made about 6.3 million in the box office dollars and 
our mate from Blood Simple and Commando, and he was in it as well. Yeah, that was probably the worst bit of the movie for me when he showed up. <laughs> he should have to be in every film we watch. Who's the other guy from? Um, the other John, the strange looking one. Uh, he's from One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. So he would have been with Doc Brown in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the only film I can think of him from. But he's just one of those really weird looking guys. He like generally got a job as an actor because he looks so strange. Vincent Schiavelli, he's called. So there's hope for Newlands, yeah. What would you say is Ellen Barkin's big film? This. Sea of Love? I knew the name, but I've not seen anything else that she'd been in. Sea of Love is all I remember her from. So sorry, Kyle, uh, continue, Kyle. Sorry, no, mate. Interjects, man. That's... So the Japanese, see, his Japanese-ness seemed pointless to me it, it, there was no you saw him kind of meditating like samurai in one brief scene but there's no sword play he's kind of dressed a bit like a kamikaze pilot which i was thinking ah oh, he sort of looks like a kamikaze pilot doing his maybe a what may be a fatal test run with his car and stuff but his he the whole japanese thing is 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 just pointless isn't it it's not really you i remember only in that film whole point of this was what was Buckaroy Banzai doing before and before that and before that and what would he be doing next well he's obviously fighting the world crime organization but where were the sequels where were the sequels that's the whole point of this movie there are no sequels yeah no it's a sort of a rhetorical question now this film was a fucking piece of art man I'm telling you I think that they thought the name sounded cool so they gave him made him half Japanese because of that that's the only reason I can think of why his dad was Japanese and his his, his mum was Swedish, I think. There was a deleted scene that ended up being on the Blu-ray, which is Buckaroo Bonzo when he's a kid. Yeah. And it's um, his mum is played by, fuck, what's her name? Uh, Halloween woman. Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis. Curtis. Yeah, so Jamie Lee Curtis played his mum. And I forgot his fucking name. The guy that played, I've got it written down, the guy that played Shredder in Turtles played his dad. Yeah. I mean, Mas- his awesome. name was Masado Bonzo, in case you're interested. He was a Japanese scientist who specialised in theoretical quantum mechanics. Oh, yeah. It shows Buckaroo as a kid, like all through like eight millimeter camcorder stuff. Um, yeah, because both his parents were trying to trying to find the safe dimension, or or were sort of alien hunters, weren't they? Maybe that's the point. That was their job, wasn't it? It shows them getting killed by a guy called called uh, Hanoi Zhan, who is the leader of the World Crime League. Who that was the the sequel that was supposed to happen. Ah, right. I don't want to keep saying, but I'll get to that later. I may as well just fucking say it. There's a, a a novel sequel that's coming out this year, thirty odd years later. It's coming out this August. All right, let's go. By the same writer. Yeah, Al Mack has written that. It's published by Dark Horse Shuffle. You you know. Oh, so it's that. Sorry, it's a comic. No, it's it's a novel. Um, right. Right. Apparently, they made him look more Japanese on the cover. Right. That's the car scene. <laughs> <laughs> so then there's the hospital scene where we see. Um, Dr. Emiliano Lozardo kind of electrocuting himself and shit. Um, <laughs> did you spot who the, the nurse, the orderly was? Dave, I recognise him, but yeah, I, I recognise him, but I, I can't place him. It's Mike from Breaking Bad, Mike Ermintrad. Yes, well done. I, I didn't know like which character you're referring to, but I would have answered that straight away because ah, okay. Okay. when, when I, I remember watching Breaking Bad, because as a kid, I was obsessed with Beverly Hills Cop. I remember watching Breaking Bad going, oh, it's the dude from, from Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> and that's what I recommend. 
Eisen from. I'm more familiar what he looks like during the 80s era than actually Breaking Bad era. So He has hair. Yeah. Yeah, because Beverly Hills Cop was the same year, wasn't it? I think, 1984, almost so, maybe 85. And that he's so, he's so distinguishable as like the head, like henchman, but also because I'm obsessed, I was obsessed with Beverly Hills Cop when I was a yeah. kid. So. Jonathan Banks, his name. And you know what? I, even though I haven't seen Better Call Saul, and I've heard it's very good, but I was thinking when they were saying, oh, there's going to be a spin off of Breaking Bad, I was thinking, well, Surely it's Mike that's got the more interesting story out of everyone. But I think he's in he's in Better Call Saul as well, though, isn't he? Yeah, no, he's got quite a big part. But with Better, if you've got Saul, you can technically just do what you like, can't you? You can have anyone walk into his office. So you kind of create you can create whatever world you want from one week to the next. I know some people that think it's better than Breaking Bad. That's insane. But I'm not saying <laughs> I, I can't talk, but that's that's insane. Imagine that's if it was better man. than Breaking Bad. Nah. Yeah, yeah, just like, yeah, without even watching it, I know it's not. I really just want to talk about the um, the gig scene. That's what I want to talk about. Just quickly then, because that's next, but we've got, then we have the flashback first, don't we, where uh, Dr. Emiliano Lazzari's got black hair because he's Italian. And it's yeah. all a, bit, a bit of comedy of errors where he's, he's all smiley with his, gets in the car, starts to go, and the professor's like, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. Professor Hikita. Um, it's like quantum leap. What's he say? Holy colito. <laughs> <laughs> he starts to go, and obviously then he goes through half through to the eighth dimension. That's where um, John Warfarin takes over his, his his brain. He comes back. He's got red hair, and uh, he gets his two guys clashing them together. I think it looks like he actually does it in real life. Like bashes those guys. Anyway, oh. but see. I, like that's not obvious when you're watching that scene it just looked I thought he'd just gone mad from his sort of the experience I didn't know he'd been possessed so I I kind of I just saw that as he is um, he was a nutty professor who's gone even nuttier I didn't realise he'd been possessed that's but yeah I didn't really? feel yeah yeah I just because well, you don't know any of these characters you don't know anything about that eighth dimension at that point so I don't think anyone's watching that thinking he's been possessed. I think he just... How did I know that he was possessed? I, I don't know. I just knew straight away. They explain it later okay, on. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they explain it later on in the film. But you wouldn't, at that time, when you're watching that, you just think he's gone mad from, like, from the experience. The experiment, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because there's no, there's no... You don't even know about the extra dimension at that point. You don't even know what's in there. You know... And like the bottom line is, I watched the whole film not realizing that so I must have missed the point where they said it. I just thought I thought he was a nutty professor that wanted who felt like it was his experiment. He did it first. He was trying to get back in it. But yeah, but I must have missed quite a big part. But I don't feel like in that first scene that 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 is suggested in any way. I just yeah. But it's interesting if if, if it's explained during the film, you go, oh, that's why he was so mad. I just thought he was a mental case. Because he seemed like quite flamboyant and mad even before that happened, didn't he? He wasn't like with it and that crazy Italian accent and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, but great, great, great stuff. Really interesting. There's often a thing that people say about films is that there there are actors that look like they're in a different film than everyone else. Do you think John <laughs> Lithgow is guilty of that in this film? Yes. I'm not sure. I read a yes. good quote that says he chews as much scenery that his false teeth would allow him to. 
<laughs> which I thought was good. Every, everyone's pretty subdued, and you know, but jo- John Lithgow pretty much goes for it. He pretty much <laughs> fucking like you know, he's just <laughs> he has, on his he own level because he's the yin to the absolute coolness of stoicism. The bucker all yeah. bonsai. Oh, it's the hero and villain. He's the, it's the yin and yang. This is what this whole film is about. It's about consciousness, multi-dimensional levels. This is who you are in this dimension. This is who you are in another. It is unbelievably good. That it has to balance it out. I was watching it. I was just thinking, God, Peter Weller's a handsome dude. <laughs> He's a martial artist. He's trained martial artist as well, isn't he? Has he ever used his skills in a film? Never seen well, it again. Again, there's only one film. You don't know about what's happened before or afterwards. That's the genius. Let your imagination take you there. So John Lithgow, he um, he decided to play with Italian. His tailor was Italian. So he took the script to his tailor. <laughs> he got his tailor to read it in an Italian accent, and he just copied it from that. And the guy's name, I forgot his name, but he gets a credit in the, in the credits saying John Lithgow, voice coach. But it's just his tailor. I've got a story that's not... Uh... I'm sort of digressing here, so apologies. You can edit this out if you want, but there's there's a film called Locke um, starring Tom Hardy, and basically the whole film it kind of just takes place in his car as he's um, having these phone conversations while driving somewhere. And uh, uh, what, what <laughs> he uh, he he for the film he has a Welsh accent, and um, <laughs> he. And then someone asked him, kind of, uh, what, what, you know, what that choice was about, and he, and uh, he said, well, um, my my therapist is actually um, is actually Welsh, and when, so yeah, I thought I'd go, but go use him as a reference point because when he talks to me, he's got quite a soothing, calm voice, and that's what I needed in order to play this character. Nice. And then they they actually interviewed the therapists. He goes, I'm not Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, go on. Then it, it, uh, it skips back to the modern day and it shows um, John Warfarin escaping from the Mental Institute. Um, yeah, he fucks up some people. See, because you're calling him John Warfarin. He's not. He's Dr... Dr. Is he, though? I think as soon as, he, yeah. as soon as he came yeah, back... Yeah, he's Dr. Lizardo. No, man, as soon as he came back from the eighth dimension, he's he's John Warfin. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair point. Uh, he's, I think he's he's Dr. Lombardi, but he's possessed by... Or is he? Is he completely changed? Is he gone completely? Yeah, I, th- I would say he's John. He's John. Yeah, they all, he's they all John. call him John Warfin. So he's fully... Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Sorry, my mistake. Cool, so then it's the, uh, the nightclub scene. I've got to admit that I saw this scene on YouTube like two or three mm. years ago. So this scene and the very last scene on YouTube, long before I watched this film. Um, Shafi said you want to talk about this, so go for it. Why, why did you? Why did you come across it on YouTube? What, what were you looking up? I think I don't did know. Peter Weller trumpet. Did you just <laughs> <laughs> double saxophone blow off? Exactly. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I googled uh, "amazing Afro per mullet" uh, with Dave McKeon. <laughs> 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 Mark Marco Hanlon's wedding band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kyle, what would you how would you describe that music? 
just 80s, <laughs> 80s the, the genre <laughs> is very unique uh and i don't know i just remember the reason i want to talk about it because i just remember the scene the most that scene the most the fact that uh and then you know he does a he, pete Weller does a guitar solo i did that's what i did actually read is that peter well it didn't actually he doesn't actually play the guitar so that's not him playing but then the trumpet when he suddenly kind of turns up with a trumpet he can he is actually trained at playing the trumpet so that's actually him playing <laughs> he even play like a mini trumpet about this big yeah it's like a mini <laughs> trumpet yeah <laughs> what was weird though is like Baku Bonsai is this like famous guy he's like we've been through what he is and he's just there with his band there's some like gitty promoter going you're gonna do a good show yeah we pissed off <laughs> <laughs> And then it's like about 10 people there as well. <laughs> it's, it's very odd. It's like, I guess they couldn't afford like lots of extras. So yeah. they just done, looks like someone's front room with lots of weird lights. And uh... <laughs> yeah, that saxophone player. Wow, what a haircut. He plays two yes. saxophones at the same awesome. time. Awesome. Yes. Wonderful. I mean, they reminded me of like uh, Prince and the Revolution. It just looked awesome. I loved it. And I still thought he gave quite a mean guitar solo. I quite enjoyed it anyway. I didn't like her performance in this film, to be honest, at all, really. Um, and embarking that. Her character was, was pointless, to be fair. Yeah, that depression, oh, that depression thing was so over the top. It's just like... But it is quite cool. I, I do love the way he stops the music. I did like that. <laughs> It's back to this. Oh, this is so outrageous. This is so outrageous. <laughs> it reminds me a bit of in uh, Wild at Heart, where he kind of stops the music in that club. I don't know why. To talk to a girl. I love it. In both films. So, yeah, she tries to kill herself. Waiter knocks a gun. So she shoots in the air. Now, I thought it was pretty badass. The whole band just pulled like machine guns out of their pockets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now you're and then, talking and she gets arrested so then she's in jail and buckaroo bonsai goes to bail her out as such and then what i didn't get was why she said she was trying to kill him even though she wasn't there's this weird thing where he puts his hand on like her boobs and starts talking to him. <laughs> yeah but then he's like uh let her out and then perfect tommy's like what are you doing she tried to kill you and he's like no it's okay she's with us now <laughs> Oh, no, that's, in that scene is where he first says, you look like my, uh, you look like my dead, dead wife. Is this like a really fucking pointless plot point? <laughs> Isn't she supposed to be his wife's twin brother or is it just the twin brother. sister, sorry? Brother? Yeah, so like I said earlier, the twin sister was some yeah, which, hot Dutch princess. Totally pointless plot point. So reading back in the lore, that Hanoi Zhan, who's the world crime league guy, killed Buckley Bonsai's wife. And his parents, Jesus. Yeah, um... Just the law behind this film. Go and, quickly to go to the law. So the guy that wrote Earl Mac Grouch, before he wrote this script screenplay, he wrote like seven or eight screenplays before it and wow. then just, just threw them away. But that law, he kind of kept in the background. So it's almost, it's a bit like Star Wars where George Lucas had the whole kind of story behind it, but he did a better job of giving you tidbits and explaining what happened. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is more like, it's, this is like watching the Avengers without seeing all the previous MCU films. It's like, what the, what the fuck is going on? That's the, the point. Going on? That's the point. What do you mean? I don't mind, I don't mind dropping in on people like that. I, just, I don't mind dropping yeah, in yeah, on yeah. someone's mad yeah. life for, for 90 minutes. It doesn't, yeah. things happen before, things happen after. I, I don't mind that at all. That's what the watermelon is all about, man. That's oh, what, mate. I, 
this is this is another sort of diversion but that's why i what i wanted from the doctor strange film i want i didn't really give a shit about his uh his origin story i wanted uh i just wanted him to just have like a like a this person for hire who's just like dropping in in an adventure but i know you love that film andy so I can't believe this, honestly. Doctor Strange 2, has been out yet? Uh, no, it's not out yet. But it's directed by Sam Raimi, so I think they've just finished filming it. Wow. Exciting. I think I've sort of drew the line with Andy now. I've, I've, you know, you were sort of uh, beginning to... This film is so smart and clever. It's Yeah, oh, I, 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 I would 100% agree with that. It is really... Oh, it is really believe. clever, but... I do have quite a lot of qualms with this film, for want of a better word. It just, it just, I just, that's weird. It just, it just didn't blend well, if you ask me. All of these different characters, all this different stuff going on. It could have just been a bit more, I don't know. That's what I said. I said it, at the just, beginning, yeah, I, said yeah. That, yeah. I, I said that there's, there's too much. Like someone, yeah. it could have done with a, you know, I—I I mean, I hate—I always hate, hate hearing these stories about studios interfering and giving notes. But I think that this is a film that really deserves someone to say, "Hold on, we can—you know—we can make this more coherent." Go back to law, and this will answer Andy's question about the watermelon. Um, there was a producer on board who was giving them notes to begin with. Um, he's yeah. the guy that—he's the guy that pulled all the the um, Jamie Lee Curtis stuff uh, from the film. About halfway through filming, they realised that they were no longer getting notes. So basically, they decided to put in a, a mental scene where they just had a watermelon. And Jeff Goldblum goes, what's the watermelon there for? And then uh, Reno goes, I'll tell you later. <laughs> of course, we never fucking find out why it was there. And they put that in just to see if that producer was still um, <laughs> giving them notes stuff. And he didn't, so it stayed in the film. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to counter that later with, a, with another explanation. Some more analysis. The producer gave one more note at the end saying, I don't want the film to end with the kiss. I need you to film one more scene. And they had no money left. Ah. So they filmed <laughs> the best fucking scene in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the that I that that's when I perked up. When I was like watching the film, I was like, whoa, what is this? No, but there you go. We'll get back to that later on anyway. Um, then it's the press conference. Uh, he's there to announce that he's been to the eighth dimension, but he gets a phone call from the president, but it's president. not the it's the, um, the black electroids, and he gets a weird electric shock down the phone. He falls on the floor, and he starts writing something on his hand, and then he goes into the room, and he can see the two uh, red electroids sat in the audience, and that's where he has his big speech, which I can't remember exactly what he says. Uh, well, no, he does a speech before about that subparticle analysis of rocks and matter. It's the greatest film ever. That's before the, he goes away. Because when he comes back, he sees them and it all kicks off. So the, the speech was before he got electrocuted. Oh, okay. But then he says the evil, pure and simple from the eighth dimension. <laughs> so it's the only time he really kind of is not stoic. Yeah. Apart from when he's getting electrocuted at the end. So they're trying to, is that when they're trying to kidnap Professor Hikita? Yeah, yeah. yeah. To get the flux capacitor back. So then he chases them down in a Harley Davidson, which was pretty cool, I thought. And is that when they launch this? They launch this thing from space, don't they? Um, there's this guy's duck hunting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's 
that was quite weird. That's well, obviously it was incredibly weird, but it's like, but yeah, because one of the one of the good guys died, but it's almost like a carbon copy comes out, and that's the one they end up dealing with, isn't it? That becomes their sort of their yeah. electroid. That they John, John Dreadlocks. I've written John Dreadlocks, but his name is John yeah. Parker. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the first one gets killed instantly. He like falls on his head. And it's like dead. It's yeah, that like, was yeah. odd. That was odd. Yeah. I was wondering what happened there. What it's like uh just that he actually killed himself by just jumping out of the yeah, spaceship. <laughs> Which he, and the pool isn't the height isn't that big. So yeah. I thought that was very yeah. odd. Yeah. And then because I thought I caught, kind of first thought he was sort of somehow faking his own death or something, but it wasn't because it just seemed so weird. And then it was like a big Almost like the exact. I assume it was actually the same actor, just to save on money, because it just they looked identical anyway. Yeah, that was a really, really strange scene, but it had quite nice comic value. And it has another uh, actor from Beverly Hills Cop who plays the the sheriff, right? Oh, good. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's uh, Detective Bolamont. Legends, yeah. so then we go back to uh, <laughs> it's the Banzai Institute and uh, Jeff Goldblum finally pitches up yes I'm ready to join the crew I don't know why I think I'm going to rock up in furry chaps and red cowboy outfit <laughs> yeah he's just sort of standing there dressed like that isn't he yeah it's awesome but this is another throwback he says to all the guys oh your cemetery says a name I forgot it was but that guy's never in the film ever so who is this guy another guy that's <laughs> Written in the script five versions ago, <laughs> that is just no longer in it. I'm sure Nunez knows all about his backstory and everything. It's, this is outrageous. This is the whole point. Let your imagination go with you. It's a comic book on a film that you don't know about. It's wonderful. This film could have been the sixth film in the series, or the eighth film, or the second film. It doesn't matter. It's just this is where Buckaroo Bonsai is. That's the point exactly. of that, that. Wherever you go, yeah, you're here. You guys are missing the <laughs> interdimensional layers of this film. This would be a great TV show because you could have one episode where he uses Japanese yeah. heritage to defeat an enemy, one yeah. episode where he uses his nuclear physicist, another episode where he uses a guitar. Yeah. Like, then you can have backstories of all the different characters. Like there's all those, there's the guy and his kids who come and help out and they're part of a group. I forgot what they're called. Yeah, the Blue Blazer Brigade. This film is basically the A-team on LSD. It's fucking mm. unbelievably good. Get Mr. T in. That's that's the kid from Lethal Weapon, isn't that? It's Mr. T as a child. He grows up. It's <laughs> so oh god. Get to the watermelon bit. Detective Murtaugh's kid. John Parker meets them at the the Institute and they put on the bubble wrap glasses. And I've written here that they meet John M. Dahl, female John M. Dahl. And I fell asleep in this bit because she talks for about an hour. <laughs> that is that is beyond. I think I did. I think that's that's when I clunked out as well. This is one of my. This is your bits. film choice. What the hell? <laughs> all, all I was thinking was, what do the glasses do? Why do they need the glasses? <laughs> that's never really explained. What time did you watch it this morning, Dave? I watched it about ten o'clock this morning. See, mine was like eleven o'clock at night. Yeah, same as me. I think I was. I think I watched it at one o'clock in the morning. Actually. Oof. I'd always say I think it's better to watch a film at night. You'll always get more from a film when you watch it at night time. Well, I watched this one in the daytime, and I'm the only one that appreciates it. So that's you know. 
argument over. You just need that no distractions at night time. Like I find if I watch, if I go to the cinema really early, like the 11 o'clock showing, I can, I can literally have forgotten the whole film by the time it's the evening. You should stop having eight pints before you go into the <laughs> cinema. <laughs> it's after the cinema. After she's talked for ages, she she gives a lot of plot details, doesn't she? Basically, she's the uh, yeah. She was yeah. great. I love yeah. And that's where you reveal it sort of reveals a true threat. That yeah, she's, it's, she's, it's once again it's kind of like a Terminator threat, isn't it? They're going to get Russia. They're going to hit Russia first, and Russia will think it was them, yeah. and they'll yeah. fire yeah. back. So it's quite. So they- Basically, it turns out that they've they've trapped the red lectoids, who are their mortal enemies, into the eighth dimension. And with obviously Buckaroo Banzai's uh, technology, they can escape from there. So they need to stop them, or they're going to yeah strike with Russia. And then it's going to be World War Three. So then Buckaroo Banzai has to let the president know. At this point, what would have happened if they just said, "Well, look, we'll just destroy our technology. Then we'll just destroy the thruster, and then." Is that the problem solved? Or? No, because they, they kidnapped Professor Hikita anyway, so they could have got it from him. Uh, uh, so they could have made him make another one. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Thank You've you. definitely seen this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watched it today. I watched it about three weeks ago now, mate, yeah. So. yeah but then they could have just said, weeks, we'll, so. kill, we'll just kill that one guy then. You don't need to blow up the whole world, basically. I guess is my point. Well, and then what? Yeah. The film ends... That's it. <laughs> I'm just saying it was well, quite, what, it was well, quite, well, what's it, next? So what happens if the Titanic didn't hit an iceberg? What? Why not just... What's next? What are we saying? Jack and Rose get to live... What, what is this? What happens if, the, what, what happens if the, 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 it wasn't windy and Twister? What then? <laughs> I just said, look... What is I this just said, If I was Buckaroo Banzo... Just imagine if Twister just had hail. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it, but I'll kill... Scientists, instead of you killing everyone in the globe, what? Because he's dead anyway, isn't he? What is your question so, then? What is your question? What happens if the script was different? Is that your question? <laughs> no, my point is that it just seemed quite extreme that these people were going to blow up the whole world to prevent this. I can understand them; they may consider themselves. That's why the time it's, it's the adventure. It's not. It's not the the boring story of Buckaroo Bonsai. It's the adventures <laughs> of Buckaroo. It needs that to fucking oh, God Almighty! This is so outrageous. <laughs> what if Beverly Hills Cop didn't go to Beverly Hills? Shafi, is your choice Beverly Hills Cop by any chance? <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, I didn't realise I've been mentioning Beverly Hills Cop so many times. Beverly Hills Cop 4. That's what we're watching, I hope. Imagine that. Shaf, you, you should come next week dressed in Eddie Murphy's raw outfit. <laughs> 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 do a homemade raw leather outfit. Do the or should I do the delirious blue one? Do the delirious blue for the first half and then change. <laughs> so why the fuck is a president in like the Bruce Lee story bed that moves? Yeah, I know. It just, what, just makes it weirder, that? doesn't it? Yeah. Nothing. Was the guy's contract just like, I just want to lie down in this office. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that otherwise. Maybe there was another adventure where Buckaroo Banzu saved the president from something, but the president was almost killed. I'm sure know. there is, yeah, I'm sure there is. <laughs> Buckaroo Banzu. <laughs> Who the fuck is Buckaroo Banzu? Are you definitely sure you fucking watched this film today? <laughs> oh, God, this is such a fucking outrage.
<laughs> the point of this film is it's a work of fiction that's so confident in itself that you just you have to enter the world and go with it you cannot question anything otherwise that's it you're lost mm. over okay cool yeah. is it funny that they're the red lectoids and this is in the 80s when it's the whole cold war but anyway <laughs> yeah yeah that's what i thought i i think that i thought there was just sort of very obvious um references to communism so the, yeah, the Reds kidnap Penny, um, searching for the uh, the Fox Capacitor, but she's got it. <laughs> but they don't know. And they start to torture her. They use this weird like creature to torture her. Yeah. But then what I didn't really get was Buckaroo was like, "I'm going to go alone. You guys come in thirty minutes." You can't question it, Kyle. But he gets captured, and they yeah. electrocute him and shit. That's what his plan was, I guess. Oh, you know yeah. what? And when when he's getting tortured, it just. All it did was just bring back flashbacks. Robocop. Pete Harrison Weller Ford. being tortured, tortured in that bloody scene in Robocop, which is, I mean, we all watched that as kids, right? Robocop. And I, yeah. sure, I, geez, I thought about I, this the other day. I think I must have been eight when I watched that. I think probably similar age. Charlotte is six. And there's no fucking chance in hell yeah. she's ever watching this flat film until she's like 15 or more. <laughs> did you watch it properly like I, I watched it but that scene was pretty much cut to the max when I watched it so really? I never really saw did you watch the TV version yeah right. I'm sure I, don't, I, I can't recall well, it I'm, I'm surprised the that they I thought they would still play that in TV I think it's just swear words and probably new nah, but not, not like that. his arm getting shot you know, his arm shot off and stuff that's so fucked up that scene it's just it's unbelievable like uh, they like properly go for tor- like torture porn. That was torture porn before the term torture porn came out. <laughs> and they shoot yeah, him so like yeah. 20 times at the end. It's, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. That's horrible. And you just want, that's, I think, as I sort of rewatched um, uh, Robocop as an adult, I was just thinking, these fucking assholes deserve like way worse coming to them. Mm. I mean, I guess. One of them gets sprayed with acid and then and ends up being run over by a car. But other than that, it's pretty tame of, of yeah. revenge that gets... Get, get, get that was the guy in the ER that got his arm chopped off by the helicopter blades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Talks Romano. <laughs> yeah. He's in uh, Fame as well. Quite, fame. quite a big role in Fame. He's in quite an interesting standalone episode of um, X-Files. Here right, we go. Got... Here we go. <laughs> yeah. ready? 20 Always. minutes later. Go on. <laughs> Always, I'm always going to bring X Files in. Yeah, it's, it's it's actually one of the weaker ones because it's in the first four series where they were all amazing, but his episode was a bit weak. It's like kind of incorporating cancer. Cancer doesn't kill him. It's like evolution. We take on cancer and live with it and stuff. So it was all right. It was okay. He has his head chopped off. He was also Jack Bauer's brother in Twenty Four. Holy shit! Really. So about 20 minutes ago, we were talking about Buckaroo Banzai, and I think <laughs> one of the things you should talk about is the War of the Worlds, because we've like the the awesome Wells storyline and link in this is awesome. When yeah, that so whole thing was a fake, you got to talk about that, man. Jeff Goldblum that was really realized cool, that. Actually. Then Jeff Goldblum yeah. realizes that um, they're using like a bacteria. The the red light toys are emitting a bacteria that lets you see. Um, them as humans rather than their kind of brown weird faces. But they also realises as well that um, the the radio radio hoax broadcaster 1938 uh, radio drama 
yeah, War of the Worlds, which um, they said was a radio hoax, um, was actually real. They didn't say it was a radio hoax. It was a radio play, but people were complaining thinking it was actually really happening. But didn't Orson Welles have to come out and say, no, it's a hoax, it's not real, it's not, it's not a real story? Yeah, in real life. It, they, yeah. they hypnotised him. So they're saying the movie, they yeah. hypnotised him to say that? Yeah, yeah. 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 That was really cool, actually. I love that bit. That was very cool. Yeah, that, that bit with Jeff Goldblum, sorry, uh, New Jersey, he uses his, obviously, um, brain surgeon skills to realise that they're using, they're emitting a, a bacteria that travels to humans' brains stops them seeing stops people seeing them as aliens and they see them as humans instead but what i thought was quite cool and i found it, at first i was a bit confused and it's a bit like how come in one scene they're in the human form and the next scene they're in their alien form it depends who they're talking to if they're talking yes. to humans they're in their exactly. human form if they're talking yeah. to themselves or buckaroo they're in their alien form yeah, yeah. and who's looking at them as well because that scene on the bus was epic so can I talk about the watermelon? This is all I've got to say. Can you can edit out everything else. So, right, so there's this theory, there's this theory out there that Buckaroy, Buckaroo Bonsai just doesn't want to be like every other sort of film. So like, you know, Stanley's True Believers and stuff. So we all know that like, if, if there was a movie now and uh, anyone but Captain America tried to pick up Thor's hammer, they wouldn't be able to, yeah? Because you know, you know that Thor is the only one that can do it. And Captain America, now, right? Or um, things like that, like nods, nods, bits of information you know from movies before and all the rest of it. So there's this, there's this thing in Superman where Lois is, uh, is going to die and Clark Kent is running down the street and then he looks at one of those newer phone booths, which isn't one you can step in, and he looks at it, he looks up and down, shrugs his shoulders, and then he runs off to find one he can go in and change. <laughs> Now, if you if you didn't know that Superman changes in a phone booth, you'd think, why the fuck is Clark Kent staring at this phone booth? <laughs> so you're one of the believers, right? You you understand it; it's already in your mind. So the theory is that that the watermelon scene was put in because there is no context, and they just wanted to show like this is something you just have to take on faith. And they were they were basically saying like. Fuck context, fuck being spoon fed. You've just got to accept this for what it is. And that's the watermelon theory. I think uh, this is all um, uh, this is all the principle that people should have keep in mind when watching the, our next film. Oh dear. Yes. Ooh. Yes, Shafi. And that's why I said this film needs Shafi Malik because it is multi layered and needs the intelligent film brain of somebody like the Malik. We'll yeah, man. Wait until. To the max. Someone comes in with an intelligent film break. Yeah. So sorry, that wasn't my funniest line over these three episodes, but I think it's important. <laughs> so Buckaroo's been kidnapped and they're torturing him. Then the Cavaliers all turn up and the Blue Brigade, whatever you said, Andy. There's there's quite a cool shootout. It's 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 all right. As back in the day, there's people falling off balconies when they get shot. Um, there's quite a cool scene where Perfect Tommy shoots on the shotgun. Then with the other hand, he's got his pistol and he shoots other people. Um, Buckaroo does quite a few Robocop kind of side to side shooting um, <laughs> yeah. and it takes the film in a new direction because they've not had any weapons really for like just brilliant so then John Warfarin uh, is rallying the troops and there's one of the great one liners where he's like where are we going planet 10 when will we get there real soon <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah let's call it is that in um 
is the Mike Ladd album when he's got a song Planet Town. That actually might be my favourite song on the album. Is that linked to Buckaroo Banzai? I'm probably talking to Shafi here. Sorry, which album? The Mike Ladd album? Yeah, the song Planet Town, isn't there? Where are we going? Planet Town. Yeah. Is this still the intro? <laughs> Those listeners that are trying to keep keep up, Mike Ladd is a independent rapper. If you are still listening, send me a dress and I'll send you fifty quid. That's an awesome album, actually. It's a really good album. Uh, Kyle, <laughs> I think we should we should because I think possibly we've we've got a lot to say about this final uh, ending credits. So. Can we, can we just uh, skip to that, or is, do you think there's other big right. things? To well, talk about? Very quick, yeah, very quickly. Um, so John Warfarin, although they've been torturing Penny, not realizing that she's got the the flux capacitor, um, he decides to use his own. So he gets in his ship and says, "I use my own." But Buckaroo and John sneak aboard, um, but John Warfarin's flux capacitor doesn't work, and he crashes through the wall and just flies in space. He realizes that they're in uh, the Buckaroo and John. What's I don't even know his real name. John. I actually don't think anyone's watched this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Just say so. the yeah. good alien. Just say the good alien. The, the good Same alien. Way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh god, he's... <laughs> that scene where he first talks to the president is amazing. How much cannabis um, have you had? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like this is the intro it's not like three hours I have some more um, so he they eject him out <laughs> they're in like a escape pod they eject him out but then Buckaroo is like oh um, I can fly this it flies like a truck <laughs> and then John is like oh great what's a truck <laughs> um, and then, <laughs> then they uh, they shoot the, the red electroids ship and they're all destroyed so all the red, red electroids are gone Ray, it's the end and then Buckaroo Bonsai ejects and he's parachuting down. And then uh, John flies back to his um, weird crab ship in space. And then it's, uh, they go to Penny, but Penny's dead. He goes to give her a kiss, but he electrocutes her. Jamie Fox. Yeah, she's, uh, she's back alive. And that's where the film should have ended, but um, the producer um, wanted to uh, have another scene. So then this happens, and then this happens. I think we should be a bit clearer and we should do the intro again. In all fact, that, that is my criticism of the film, is that there's yeah, a lot of plot in this film. There's a lot of plot in this film. That's why I was saying to, when I first saw it, it was good luck, Andy, on, on recalling that, that story. <laughs> there's a lot, there's, and as I said, if I was like a, a studio executive, I would say, like, you know, there's a lot of plot in this film and, you know, you could sort of just let the, you enjoy the experience of it rather than you know getting too bogged down the plot so the ending scene which was added because the producer said you need to add something else and they had no money left um so <laughs> it's basically peter weller climbs down into the la river and he just starts walking to a really fucking cool song and i want to find the who wrote the song i didn't look it up isn't it just the composer of the yeah michael Bodica. He, uh, oh, he did uh, a song from Flashdance. Nice. Um, but this, when they filmed when they filmed the scene, uh, that song wasn't written yet, so they had they had to use a song that was the same um, the same tempo. So they actually Uptown walked. Uptown Girl. They, yeah, Uptown Girl. Yeah, they all walked along to Uptown Girl by Billy Joel. 
Yeah, I, this is the scene that I first saw on YouTube before I even watched the film. I was like, oh my God, I've got to see this film. Is that what made you choose a film? Just that, uh, the end scene? No, I'd already seen it. I'd literally seen it the day before. It was okay. I chose this film. I thought it, because it thought it might um, garner a good discussion, which I think it probably has. Oh, right, yeah. We could, yeah. we could talk for hours about this. We could start. I'm going to do my own podcast on this tomorrow. <laughs> All right. And I'll put, I'm putting it as a link below, viewers. For all of you that love this film, <laughs> I'm going to say one thing about this end scene, and I'm just going to shut up and listen to you guys rip it apart. But the end scene is quality because it tracks back to interdimensional levels again. So Kyle was telling me the other night about, like, if you look at Sexy Thomas, how he starts with like a white jacket and up and on, and then by the end, he's changed clothes. And if you watch really carefully, the first time you as a viewer notice the 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 fucking the madness like he's he's in a completely different outfit yeah so they they turn around the corner yeah they turn around the corner he's in a different outfit and the guy next to him cannot believe it he can't believe it he looks him <laughs> up and down he twirls around he's like oh my god and that's the genius of this film there's little things like that that it's just what it's magic it's it's so it's one of the most smartest, well-thought-out films of all time. And that's our ending. Good night, viewers. Listen to the three amigos. Check my link below. Catch you later. Oh, the dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shafi and Dave, what film copied this walking ending? Uh, maybe it's Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> but they did it to uh, David Bowie's song. Labyrinth. David Bowie song. Oh, I know. Jeff Goldblum um, was also in the, the yeah, film. The, yeah, yeah, the Adventures of Steve Zissou. Yeah, Life Aquatic. Was Sorry, Steve what, yeah, Life Aquatic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, That's good. That's what are we talking about? What? When's that happening in that film? The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. That's like the end credits. They start walking to Queen Bitch by um by David Bowie. Oh. I don't remember that at all. What? So did he? Did uh, Wes Anderson say he referenced that from? He's, he's never said that, but Goldblum has said in interviews that he thinks that he did. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, that that's the best scene in the film, which is just people fucking walking. It's mental. Uh, yeah. You see, like I, I think Andy's got the, got the opinion that we dislike this film. I, I I certainly didn't dislike this film. I just it just didn't quite deliver. I guess for me. Is what I'd say, but I did really, really enjoy it. And the more I think about it, I really, I want to watch it again. You know, it's one of those films. The more I read about it, and the more that I think about it, I want to watch it again. But the first yeah. time, I was like, "This is not really a good film. It's just a bunch of scenes that don't really." Oh my god! Please so watch the Kevin Smith review of this film. Please. No, but he loves everything, man. Come on. <laughs> so, Andy, <laughs> did you wait? Okay, did you have this opinion of the film as? Uh, like uh, after watching, Ooh, as in, did you cheeky? Did you have this opinion of the film when the film ended, or is it just after looking at the analysis of it you sort of? Yeah, so like I was saying before, when the film ended, I was like, "Hmm, it's really good," and then started looking at like reviews and listening to people and thinking, "Holy shit, yeah, I'm so stupid, I missed that. Oh my god, I didn't think of that." Da, 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 da. Went back and watched some scenes. So. For me, if I would have just watched the film and then not done any research, I would have been like, that was a bit mental, that was a bit of silly fun, well done. And then 
I watched all the reviews and stuff and thought, oh, wow, this is what Shafi's on about when he's talking about films and stuff that I don't understand. What a fucking stupid bellend I am. And that's why I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to come tonight and do a fucking two hour speech about the multi-layered cinematic brilliance of Buckaroo Banzai. And it didn't happen. You've seemed down, depressed. I'm gutted. I'm gutted for Kyle. I'm upset for Dave. And I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm just so sad for you. Watching the film, I, I could tell that there was more into it, but I just, I, I'd rather, I just thought there's no point in um, me looking up what this and that means. I'd be, I think it'd be more entertaining if you guys just recall bit by bit of the plot. Oh, wow. I wish you had. I, honestly, I would love your film brain to have just researched this to shit. Is this film famous? It's cult famous, yeah. Yeah, it's got a cult following. I've never heard of it. I was quite surprised I'd never heard of it. It's just, it's another one of those films, like from the 80s, that, you know, it's it's one of those films that I could have watched, I could have watched, like found as a kid, but I didn't, you know, that, the Monster Squad, Roadhouse, uh, what else? This feels like big trouble in Little China to me. I don't know why. It's just ah, mad ah, story. So, W. D. Richter, who directed this film, he co-wrote Big Trouble in Little China. Wow! Oh, yes. And some awesome. of some of the apparently the guy that played not Jack Burton, the his Asian friend, um, the guy that played him only took the role because he loved this film. And some of the ideas that were written down for the sequel, so the, the World Crime League, ended up being in Big Trouble in Little China, but everyone denies that. But apparently, it's <laughs> the case, yeah. That's awesome. Big Trouble in Little China has the qualities of the film that I wish Bakuru Banzai had. In yeah, that that's, that's a really good point, yeah. Big Trouble in Little China is a film where it's show, don't tell. There's a lot of, there's a lot of plot there, but it's, it, it wants to tell you everything visually where Bakuro Bonsai feels like I'm reading, I'm having to read like a, a glossary. You have to keep on referring to some sort of uh, small print at the bottom of yeah. the page of a novel, you know, and yeah, that's how I, I think that, I think the watermelon scene sums up the film perfectly where he's like, why is there a watermelon, why is there a watermelon in there? And I'll tell you later. <laughs> this, yeah. That's the whole fucking film. You're like, what is this? Exactly. Who are they? Have I got to go and read a Wikipedia? What did people do in the 80s? We have, didn't have Wikipedia then. Cannabis. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, well, no, that I think that's why this has got a... You watch it six times, don't you? You just watch it so many times yourself. Like, yeah. You have a VHS copy that you watch. Uh, this, that's why this has got a big cult following is because... It's it's got a Shit big like stoner following. It's got yeah. a big stoner following, and that's oh, why okay. someone like Kevin Smith's really into it because that's why I like um, it. People would just sort of smoke smoke a load of weed while kind of while what? A couple of quick facts then. So Michael Madsen was offered the role of Perfect Tommy. Wow, he didn't take it. Um, and Michael Keaton and Tom Hanks were both close to paying Buckaroo. Um, Jeff oh, Goldblum turned down the role of Egon in Ghostbusters to be in this film. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, I heard that, yeah. Right, and next week's film is? Yeah, yeah, so just a one-word summary of your feelings towards this film. Oh, one word, uh, again with the one word. 
Dave, Dave, what do you think? What, what do you? What, how would you summarize as as few as words as possible? Your I've got my words. I've got my words. Shoot. Go on, Kyle. Watermelon. <laughs> Rosebud. Dave. Rosebud. Okay, uh, Andy. Why? Don't you know? It should be obvious, man. Rosebud. Anyway, yeah, Rosebud. Looks like talking about a different film. It's talking about yeah, Citizen Kane, but so much about Blood Simple again. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Let's go again. Oh, Have you watched God, it for the same time? Yeah. Fucking pile of shit that was. <laughs> oh wow! Much better than Ford versus Ferrari. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> the, ad, the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai is the perfect superhero movie. Nice. Wow. I, I think so. It's interesting because oh, like, here we go. If so that, just a few words, Dave. If you, it. if you, just generally speaking on something, because I love still in the intro. I love Holland <laughs> Drive, and then I watched a sort of documentary on YouTube about it, explaining it in, in depth. <laughs> And it became one of my favourite films of all time. So it's interesting. Yeah. Is So if, if my experience of Mulholland Drive on the level of myself just watching it was I really love this film. And then when someone else explained it to me yeah, on how clever it is, I'm like, wow, wow, wow. I'm yeah. blown away. So I, I think I think that's that's in life. That's what's happening you're, to always, me. you're always going to meet cleverer people than yourself. And yeah. If they can help yeah. you love a film more, then that's great. That's yeah. only a good thing. And so, just to play devil's advocate, there are a couple of film instances where the more a film is explained, the more I think, eh, that's not the film I saw. And uh, yeah, that, that's that's know, great. I think a David Don, Lynch Donnie, film certainly Don, is open. Well, Donnie yeah. Darko, Richard Kelly does a does a. Um, a director's commentary on it and it's like what like really that's that's your that's how that that's your explanation of all this oh, that's interesting so yeah that, that's right that well i checked that out so basically buckaroo banzai was wonderfully enjoyable a bit all over the place but ultimately very enjoyable film for me yeah thanks for the one word dave <laughs> andy <laughs> Yeah, he does that, does he? Right, uh, Andy, your word? Um, That'll do. A, su- a, su- a super superhero movie. Nice. My one word was Rosebud. Don't, that was my one word. My, that was a sideline point or something else. Actually, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Here's, here's my word. Strap in. <laughs> <laughs> mm, Jen, Jen, get ready. <laughs> 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 the, the fake cheek is ready for bed. <laughs> so normally Shafi would do this bit, but obviously it's his turn. So Shafi, it is over to you to choose a film. My choice of film is a film called. Are you guys ready for it? Yeah. The film is called Jellicatu. Oh, what? mate, what? Jalakatu, a 2019 film. Jalakatu. A 2019 Indian Malayan language independent film. How do we watch this film, Shafi? It's 90 minutes long and it's on Prime. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> are you, are you going to watch it with Jen? I was watching it with Lisa last night. Yeah, I've been watching all these with Jen, apart from Blood okay. Simple, because I didn't want to inflict that on her. <laughs> she's going she's gonna to love this film. 
Callan Barkey <laughs> is the only butcher in the small rural Kerala. Oh yes, mate, I've been to Kerala. So I'll oh, know for all. There you go. That's why I'm. This is why I'm. I'm very excited for you to to watch this film. And he and his assistant Anthony Baba Pickler meet before dawn <laughs> each day <laughs> to slaughter a buffalo. Is it a musical? Okay. Of course it is. It's always rip. a musical. I'm not going to tell you anything. Don't don't <laughs> read up on anything. Just watch the film. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm gonna watch a 90 minute Indian Kerala Himalayan language film about buffaloes. Sounds excellent. See you next week. Good see you all. All right. Good night. Good night.